Now, before I read a little text to which I wish to call your attention, I want to visit with you for about five minutes, and I want you on your tiptoes mentally. When I started Bob Jones University, formerly Bob Jones College, I didn't know a thing in the world about education. I knew, of course, that they'd build a great many theories, and by the way, which theories are constantly changing. Most of the books that are five years old on the subject of education are out of date. Uh, the theories keep changing, but the principles last. So when I started the school, uh, I said to a friend of mine, Dr. H.C. Morrison, the man that built Asbury College from just a little school of about 30 up to a school of several hundred, made the mighty force in the Christian world back in those days when he was at the height of his power. And by the way, as I've said so many times, I think he's probably one of the greatest preachers that ever stood in the American pulpit. I said, Dr. Morrison... Uh, have you any suggestions to make to me about uh, how to build a Christian school? Well, he said, yes, I'll tell you one thing. He said, keep the chapel platform hot. Well, of course, that was my purpose. I knew that. I'd learned that from evangelistic work. But it confirmed my idea that no school uh, can really be what it ought to be that doesn't have a dynamic chapel program. Now, when I went to school, it did not have a formal, dead, technical code. Now, this chapel program is going to be emphasized this year as we've never emphasized it in the history of the school. Did you ever stop to think about it when Jesus was here on earth and had his little school with 12 pupils and he t talked to them, no buildings in which to house them, no dormitories which they were to sleep. That little school ran three years, that little school that Jesus had, just three years. And the school went along for those three years. You remember the story of his school? Well, I notice closed. When this school was over, Jesus went back to heaven, and they'd all graduated on the day of Pentecost. They went out in the world, and uh, when they went out in the world, uh, they kept uh, coming across things in their experiences. And they said, don't you remember he told us that? Well, you know, we ought to remember that he told us that. Now, they got the inspiration from the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus Christ that made them shake the foundations of empires before they understood all he said. Now, this institution is not just a school where you learn things. You do learn things. Uh, you'll get your scientific knowledge and your literary knowledge and your historical knowledge and all that sort of knowledge. But this school is more than that. This school is just a school where you not only get knowledge, but where you're supposed to get inspiration to send you out to do the job for God. Now, I want you to remember that as you go into this business here this year. Inspiration, inspiration, inspiration. That's the emphasis. That's where you're getting this year, inspiration. Now, I remember a few years ago when the highways of America were crowded with university graduates and college graduates out of work. We found that all the graduates of Bob Jones University had a job. All of them were doing well. We made survey after survey and found that. We wrote those students, at least the dean did, and said, will you explain to us something to which you could attribute the fact that you have a job when the depression's on in America? And every last one of them wrote back and said, I heard a, a Dr. Bob at chapel say so-and-so. Or I heard somebody else say so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, that, that shaped my life. Now, you can come in, graduate in this school, take all the courses and everything you want to do and go through with it. Get through with all the courses you're taking here. Go out in the world with a great deal of knowledge, never mount anything, never get long tall, anything at all. So we want you here in this school to remember what I'm telling you about. Now, this important thing I'm saying to you. That it's not just knowledge you want, it's something else. Say, listen, if you don't build your life on the right foundation and get the proper Christian philosophical slant on life, 
you're going to never understand the problems of this world. That's the reason we're building this type of institution and keep on emphasizing these fundamentals. When we started this school, we felt like certain things would work. We've lived to find out that we were right. We now know they were. And so this chapel platform this morning is as much a part of your year's training as anything you're getting so it'll be the program we have here. Now, this weather's a part of the circumstances in life. You're away from home. It's raining. The wind's blowing. Season of the year. Most of the time, we have pretty good weather here. Take this all the way around. This is the loveliest climate I've ever lived in. Ms. Jones and I agree about it. Take it winter, summer, all the time. We have some warm days in the summer, but most of the summer here has been just delight. And take it all the way around, you'll have good weather. So it is out in life. You'll have good weather some days, but you'll have stormy days. The wind will blow. The floods will come. Rains will beat on you. Jesus said if you build a house, it'll be like that. He said you better build it right, too, because he said if you build it on the right foundation, on a rock, you'll never be blown down. But he said if you build it on the sand, uh, when the storms come, uh, the house will fall. Now that's something you might get this morning from the weather. You might learn a lesson from it, from the conditions and the weather and the surroundings and the circumstances. Off from home. Rainy. Makes you a little... Well, you know, rainy weather does something to you. Changes your mood and your temperament. But you're a bit bigger than your environment. You know, environment doesn't make man. Men make environment. Listen, if you can't be good in a bad environment, you are not good. If you can't be good in a bad environment, you won't be good in a good environment. The same capacity that makes man good in a bad environment is the same element in them that keeps them good in a good environment. Now, of course, an environment is a nice thing, good thing, uh, all right, law to have it. But if you're made up right and get the right slant on life, uh, you can get through the world and be decent when the environment around you isn't right. Let's learn all that. What about the wealth? What about condition? What's God doing? All right, but this is a message I want to talk to you about this morning. We started off last night with evangelistic services. A number of you folks who were backslidden took your stand. Some of you that weren't Christians for the first time accepted Jesus Christ. We want to start with Jesus Christ. We want to keep him in the forefront of all the days ahead of us here. I will read some verses in the first chapter of Colossians. Now, they're heavy verses, and I'll read them hurriedly. I haven't time to go into the discussion of them or the exposition of them. Now, we notice these verses. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of his will, she might know the will of God, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that she might walk worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with the Almighty according to his glorious power, under all patience and long suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the, uh, of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption, nowhere else. Not in a church, not in an organization, not in a machine, not in, an not in an ordinance in whom we have redemption in Christ. Through his blood, that's where our redemption comes from. In Christ, but through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. 
If you ask me for the greatest, most wonderful thing on this earth today to tell you, I would say the forgiveness of sins. The goodness of God that blots out a man's past, that wipes it off the slate, that covers it under the blood of Jesus Christ, so God himself can never see it. I can think of nothing in the world as one person. I can think of nothing as awful as the fact that someday I have to walk up and meet my sin. And then, thank God, some of us know we won't meet it. Somebody asked Mr. Webster, what's the most solemn thought you ever had? He said, my personal accountability to God. Say, you know, you feel like shouting, you read there. In Christ we have redemption. Through his blood, that's the way we get it. Even the forgiveness of sins. Now listen, who is this Christ? If we have redemption in it, through his blood, forgiveness of sins, who is he anyhow? What kind of person is he? He must be somebody wonderful. He must be marvelous. Uh, about whom are you talking, Paul, as you write with that pen of inspiration? Now, he said, I'll tell you who he is. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. Well, sure is somebody. Think of it. I'm in him. Cleansed from sin through his blood. Have redemption in him. Sins are all blotted out. In him, he's sufficient. He's somebody. Well, by him were all things created. All things. Not all things I can see. Not all the trees I've looked at and the birds I've seen fly in space. Not all the water I've seen in the ocean and all the rivers I've seen run to the sea. Not all I've seen. Beyond that. Over and above that. By him all things are created. They're in heaven. You know, you hear about the Adam. <laughs> Say, listen. He must be somebody when he can make an Adam that takes generation after generation to prick. And when you stick a pin in it, blow up civilization. He must be somebody. Create all things. All things in heaven. <laughs> things the telescope never finds. Stars and worlds. Pinning back the sky at night. Sky that you can't see. Worlds that telescopes cannot find. Up yonder, all things ever seen. Ever Things you don't see. All things were made in heaven and that are in earth. Say, listen. If it was just in the earth, it'd be enough. He'd be somebody if he could create an atom. <laughs> but that's about the least thing he ever made. Listen. The tiniest thing he ever made has enough power in it. When man takes it for destruction to destroy a world, you begin to get a conception of Jesus, don't you? Listen. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and the earth, visibly invisible. So there'll be no misunderstanding about it. 
everything you can see and everything you can't see, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He made them and he owns them. And our redemption's in him. Pretty safe, don't you think? Listen. And he is before all things, above potentates, priests, bishops, ecclesiastical machinery, saints, Virgin Mary, for everything. For everything. Listen. He didn't only make everything that's seen and unseen. All the things in the universe, he made them. Made them himself. Made them for himself. Notice. And by whom all things consist. He holds them together. He made them. He runs them. I told you now I'm getting on dangerous grounds with you scientists because I admit my ignorance. I told you last year, some of you, about when I went up to connected to New York and they took me there in General Electric in the laboratory and they took me there and showed me some things that they'd been able to learn. And this man said to me, Dr. Jones, did you know there's enough energy in that little spoonful of water? If we could break it up, that would drive the biggest ship across the Atlantic Ocean. What little spoon of water could break it up, drive it across the ocean. And he said, you know, uh, we know how now to turn energy into matter and matter into energy. He said, you know, we can shoot energy through this smoke chamber here and create some matter. We'll show you some pictures of things we've made. And he said, uh, you know what we can do? We can actually create gold, turn energy into gold. Well, of course, that's interesting to me because I have to, I'm budget boy down here. <laughs> and I immediately asked him if he could make it and pay in quantities. And he said, no, sir. He said, we can't do that. He said, it probably cost a million dollars to create a, one ounce of it, but we can do it. And then he said, now you notice here in this thing, but he said, there's one thing we don't quite understand. I said, what is it? He said that there's, these elements that you see here uh, together don't belong together said, we scientists can't understand how they hold together in the universe. I said, well, let a preacher explain it to you. By whom all things are held together. How does the moon come up and go down and keep her course? How does it? 
How does the sun come up always on time? Never secondly. In the morning, the sun reaches out fiery fingers and pushes back the curtain and says, I'm on time again. And in the evening time, it goes down the western horizon. And just on schedule, pulls down the curtain of the day and says everybody ought to be in bed. Looks like it'd get late sometime. How does it happen? Who's, who's running this thing? The President of the United States or the King of England? Or marching armies? Or scientists in laboratories? The mighty, omnipotent, invisible, unconquerable, all-conquering, omnipotent Jesus Christ holds it together. Now, wait a minute. Now, that's not all he is. He has a church here. He's the head of a church. Who is the, his body, the church? There isn't any question about New Testament, what it means. You couldn't be plain on this. If you're a Christian, you belong to the body of Christ. That's clear in the Bible. You may have your local church. But then in a New Testament sense here, there isn't any doubt that the body of the church is the body of Christ. It's clear. That's the church as a whole. He's head of the body of the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn. Firstborn of the dead, and in all things. In all things. Listen, he is the head of the church, his body. But the body isn't the big part of this thing. We built ecclesiastical machinery and set ecclesiastical stages and put on ecclesiastical robes and had ecclesiastical arrays and said, Behold the church! He said, That's not the big thing in this universe. The head. Now, what is a Christian institution? What is a Christian institution? Now, wait a minute. Look this way and get it. Let's settle this once for all. A Christian institution, whether it be a local church, a business, a home, a school, or a college, a Christian institution is the one that exalts Jesus Christ in everything to the preeminent place. The minute somebody goes to shoving him around, he's in an institution that isn't Christian.
when the scientific laboratory on a university campus becomes big and Jesus gets little, that laboratory belongs to an institution that isn't Christian. When football makes the headlines and Jesus Christ's name is hit in some little corner, you can call that school Christian, but it isn't Christian. When in doubt, piled up, Millions and millions and millions and millions. And then down it's big and he's little. It isn't a Christian institution. When Jesus Christ gets pushed around in the White House in Washington or in the National Capitol in cabinet meetings, America ceases to be a Christian nation, if it ever was a Christian nation. When the United Nations gathers around the table and doesn't offer Jesus Christ a chair at the head of the table, that is not a Christian assembly. It's not Christian until he's first. When he's a little boy and somebody else is a big boy, it isn't Christian. Young people, the hardest job you ever had on earth is to be Christian. The biggest task in this world is to run a Christian institution. The devil would have had this school at the end of the second year of its history. If I hadn't been an evangelist with experience and hadn't been a good devil smeller, Unless you're a good devil smeller on a campus, Jesus takes over. The way to be able to smell the devil and know he's around is to have the perfumery of the constant abiding presence of the Son of God. You're on a university campus that doesn't just walk in church on Sunday morning and say, God is in the holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. When you go in the laboratory over here, or the library, or any other place, and that teacher doesn't remind you that Jesus is a big boss around here. That teacher betrays his trust. Oh, that doesn't mean that you 
don't teach science, and it doesn't mean that you turn a scientific class into a prayer meeting and pray all the time. Some people I've known think that's the way to put Jesus first. It isn't. Listen. If you are to be using a microscope or a telescope in science, and you don't do it and pray at the time, and lay down the microscope and the telescope, you are not Christian. But you move with a Christ consciousness. When you look at the stars and you say, isn't my Savior wonderful? What must be beyond? And the one that lighted all those stars, in him I have redemption. The forgiveness of sin, I'm cleansed with his blood. In him. The administration in this institution from the day we started until now has never permitted anybody to shove Jesus Christ around you. My mother's been dead since I was 14, a little under. I'm going to a grave next week. If she were alive today and came on this campus, I'd rather you'd mistreat me than to mistreat her. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't please me if you insulted her. But Jesus is more than mother. And if he isn't more than mother to you, you are not really a Christian. When he's more than mother to you, mother becomes more to you than she ever was before. The exaltation of Jesus Christ to the first place raises academic standards, increases efficiency, refines your social taste and your appreciation of values. The world is degraded because he has been shoved around. The exaltation of Jesus lifts up everything. The flowers, the stars, the trees, the birds, the wife, the husband, the sweetheart, the child, the mother, the friend, the sinner. A sinner becomes more to you when he gets first place. Because you see Jesus walking down the road of time toward Calvary. And somebody says, where are you going? He said, I'm seeking the lost. What did you come for? I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Every man 
is more to you when he's first. A babe is more valuable when he's first. I rarely ever take a baby in my arms that I don't think of Jesus. I rarely ever see a little boy that I don't think of Jesus in the temple at the age of 12. That is when I sit down and talk to a little boy. My little grandson Bobby is about, about the age Jesus was, not quite, when he went to the temple. I plead with you this year as the founder of this school, the chairman of the board of trustees, I ask all of you, let's put him first. Not salary for a teacher, not a pet in the home, not a comfortable bed, not honors in school except such honors as we can lay at his feet. Not somebody doing something for us, but all of us doing something for him. Let's make this school, if it isn't completely Christian, let's make it completely Christian. We're calling you to this today. We're pleading with you to do it. Don't you think he deserves first place? If he's what Paul said he was, he's everything. And there wouldn't be anything if he wasn't everything. Because by him all things consist. I'm not concerned about academic standards. You'll get as good in this school in the fields of your emphasis as you'll get anywhere. Listen, a school that gives Jesus first place will have the best academic standards it's possible to have. He raises academic standards. I'm not concerned about discipline in this school if Jesus has first place. You wouldn't have any problem of discipline. There would be no problem of lawlessness in the world and juvenile delinquency. And there'd be no crime problems and no penitentiaries and no jails and no gas chambers where you put men to death and no galluses on which you hang men and no bloody battlefields where men die if Jesus had first place. Everything's out of joint because he's been shoved around by the wicked hands of a wicked world. There'll be no problem in your life if he has first place. Listen. Wait a minute. He is not the one who helps us solve problems, not just that. He himself, the omnipotent Lord Jesus Christ, he himself is a solution for the problems. 
Let's see to it that Bob Jones University is a Christian school. Let other folks talk about other things. But let's us talk about Jesus and do other things like Christians ought to do them. I want to tell you a story I told you one time. Years ago, I was up in New England. Speaking up there, and they told me about a, a certain preacher went from the south up to this very influential church in one of the New England cities. And I was a young man those days. This man was one of the first modernists I ever heard of in the realm of religion. And one Wednesday night at prayer meeting, one Wednesday night at prayer meeting, he reviewed the latest novel. Nice job for a preacher on prayer meeting night. And had some of the literary folks there, you know, superficial worldly people that like to be called smart and claim to have appreciation of the beautiful and many of them are the coarsest people in the world. And so he reviewed this book and got through. He said, now, uh, young people, he said, you know, I was reared by an old conservative uh, preacher father. And this preacher father of mine used to have a prayer meeting and we'd have testimony meetings. And I used to hear the old saints get up and testify. And he said, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to have a testimony meeting now, an up-to-date testimony meeting. I want you to tell us what you think of this book, the characters of the book. Now we'll go ahead. Somebody said, well, I'd like to say that uh, I'd like so-and-so better. And that character appealed to me that kept going. And there's an old woman around there, one of those little hats you put on top of the head, just pinned on, tie around strings. You've seen those old women. And she got up out of the corner and slowly moved down in front of the chancel. She said, yes, I'd like to say a word. Said my, my son who is pastor here was reared by an old time preacher father. And we never did review books like this at church. And certainly not at prayer meeting. And I haven't anything to say about the book that my sons reviewed tonight. But it occurred to me that there ought to be somebody here to say something for Jesus. And I'd like to, I'd like to have the privilege, my son, of telling these people what Jesus means to me. And I wish he meant to my boy what my Savior meant to his father. Say, let the world talk about its science and its literature. And let the world talk about other things. Let us know all we can about science and literature. And all we can about all that scholars ought to know. But let Bob Jones University talk about Jesus. Somebody ought to be talking about him. He's not getting a square deal. And that's what's the matter with the world. Let's us do our part. We are one little school with 3,000 this year. But he just had 12 when he was here. 
in his little school. What could we not do if the power of God came upon us? And this one institution would always keep him supreme in all things that he might have the preeminence. Our Father, in our helplessness and weakness, we yield ourselves to thee today and pray for thy guidance and thy power and thy help and leadership of thy spirit. Help us from this moment on. From this moment, if we haven't always done it in the past, from this moment on, help us to exalt Jesus Christ to the preeminent place and keep him there in everything. Help every teacher and every member of the staff in all affairs we transact, all the work we do, all the teaching, everything. Help every one of us to promise him now while our heads are bowed, Jesus by thy grace this year thou shalt have the first place. Help the students here to say the old ones who are back, yes, Jesus. And the new ones to say, yes, Jesus, I will too. And may this be the most wonderful year we've ever known. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.